This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. Welcome to this February 14th edition of Real Talk. Coming up in, in just under an hour, we're going to talk to a, uh, a chemist who's going to take us into the science and the chemistry of chocolate. We got you covered on your Valentine's Day content. And coming up in about a half an hour from now, we'll talk to Narwhal founder Emma Gilchrist and World Press Photo of the Year award-winning photographer, photojournalist Amber Brack. And why are they running their lawsuit against the RCMP up to the Supreme Court. We'll find out why they're suing the RCMP. Of course, all of this related uh, to Amber Bracken, arrested by police on assignment on BC's West Coast. That's coming up. But we lead off today with a three-time Juno Award winner. He's a Canadian country star uh, with four number one hits on the Canadian country charts. He was born right here in our home city of Edmonton, raised on a cattle ranch near St. Paul, Alberta. His newest album, The Compass Project, a series of four releases, starting with the South album, which is just out, and everybody's talking about it, but in a bit of a different way. Brett Kissel's facing backlash for his song, Line in the Sand. Joining us live in the Real Talk studio, it's nice to see you. I appreciate your availability on this. No, thank you, Ryan. It's great. Like We've known each other for a long, long time, and it's great to sit across the desk like, and congratulations, this studio looks amazing, your show is great, it's, uh, it's honestly, it's great to connect, it uh, really is. You and I were reminiscing as you arrived just a few minutes ago, and, and looking back, I remember when you were first starting your career, you were putting albums out when you were like a, a tween, yeah, like, I don't think you absolutely. were barely a teenager, and you were releasing records. On and, the good uh, old uh, A-Channel days. That's absolutely. right. I, I remember your introductions, and I remember being so excited to be on, on TV um, you know, with you and playing some songs that I wrote or some songs that, uh, you know, were cover songs like I've Been Everywhere and all those uh, great songs from the classics. It was a really, really good chapter. And now we're into a new chapter. So, yeah, yeah. we've spoken many times in past. This conversation feels a little bit different. Uh, yeah. th- there's a lot of buzz around your album. Some people love it and, and some people are, are taking really big runs at you. I mean, let me ask you plainly. Let, let's set some context for people that aren't familiar uh, with the tune. And this is one track on the new album. There's going to yeah. be four albums. We'll talk about the project today. Uh, Line in the Sand from the lyrics. I see people going crazy. Good lives torn apart. Windows boarded up and shut down. I see broken hearts. I should have you singing this. My boss, he comes up to me, says, I better toe the line. Well, you can take away my paycheck, but you can't take my pride because I stand up for my freedom and I stand up for my family. I stand up for this life I love and I stand up for my country. So if you try to take me down, let me show you where I stand. Hate me if you want to, but this is my line in the sand. Did you set out to write a Freedom Convoy anthem? I don't think it's a Freedom Convoy a- anthem at all. I think that song is just my own personal mandate, like my own personal thoughts on the entire situation that we've had over the past three years, but also exactly where I'm at in this exact version of myself. These are the things that really matter to me. And I think these are the things that matter to a lot of people. At the same time, like any piece of art, like any song, people can take it however they want to whatever they want their lyrics to be, whether it be a rap song or a country song or whatever. This for me is just deeply personal. So the fact that a lot of people on social media have actually started to dislike it or a lot of people on social media have decided to use it as an anthem for their cause, that's just what music does. So I didn't set out for any of that 
I just wrote this song one day in a moment where I was really frustrated with what was going on in the world. And now that I'm independent, I felt like this is a really good time to release this song because a lot of people ask me my opinion on certain things and I don't really want to talk about it, but I don't mind singing about it. Johnny mm. Cash did. So that's what I wanted to do. Yeah, what is the difference? Like, Take me into the mindset of a, of a singer-songwriter. You say you reached that point where you were really frustrated. Was there, I guess it's maybe a bit of a personal question, but was there like a, a breaking point or something that happened in particular when you started thinking about a line in the sand? Yeah, Not 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 a real one one breaking point, but it's just years and years and years of lockdowns and, and, and a bunch of things that I... I didn't I didn't agree with and now you know I've come out in the wash that's saying hey you know what where we're at today we've made a lot of mistakes um, you know over the past three years so for me I'm sitting at, sitting at home just totally wishing that I could you know be out on the road again understanding that things in Canada were a lot different than the United States as well you know my wife and I we were living in Nashville and we're having a great time in Nashville then you come across the border and okay everything is completely changed in terms of rules and regulations of what you cannot do so I just wrote that song, never thinking that it actually would ever be recorded. But I felt in talking with my wife, Cecilia, and talking with my family, as well as my team, that you know, it actually takes a lot of courage to release a song that actually could be controversial, although there was never the intention to write a controversial mm. song. I mean, Johnny Cash never intended to write a controversial, uh, controversial song. He was just writing country music. Same it, thing with me. You've referenced him twice in three minutes. Is yeah. he one of the biggest influences in your career? No, what was one. it about him and the way that he carried himself? I mean, aside from the musical <clears throat> talent. Well, I, I mean, I think everything that he stood for. Um, he stood for a lot of the things that you know I talk about in that song in particular. Um, you know, there were a lot of things. There was a really unique documentary on Kim on on Netflix uh, where he was invited to the White House to go and perform. And the White House had asked him to sing a couple of songs in particular that are actually very pointed towards a cause. But he actually was focusing a lot more on the war in Vietnam. He was focusing a lot more on a record that he had called Bitter Tears, which is about indigenous culture and the Native American spirit and how it's being lost and all the research that he had done and saying like, hey, this is, this is all like one big cover up like this. We should honor indigenous people. And so he wrote that record, and that those are the songs he chose to sing in the White House, and the president was really upset about it. Mm. But he kind of stood for what he believed in, and you fast forward, I mean, that was in the 70s, and you fast forward when he passed away in 2003, and uh, definitely a heroic figure in American and in all musical culture. I don't set out to be a hero or even relate to Johnny Cash in that particular way. I know I'm going to die one day, and people will look at my body of work and maybe talk about the song, or maybe completely forget about this song. Well, I, one of the but, interesting things for me to watch as an outsider in all this is that when I mean, you say you, you, a hero, I mean, some people are painting you as a villain right now, and yeah. there, there, there's a lot of, I mean, some of some of the uh, the backlash around but that's this social album media is, though, is really isn't it? ramping up. Well, well, give me your insight on that. Like, you have to have expected. I know you. You're mm -hmm. a smart guy with a song like this, as pointed as this is. You had to expect some backlash uh, but it's oh. I mean it's it's to the point where it's running up the chain to I mean you know you have a great partnership with the Edmonton Oilers you've sung a lot of anthems for them in some high profile events I've seen people tagging the Oilers on tweets yeah. they don't want to see you singing anthems anymore people are taking this really personally but you know there's a lot of people that are very very supportive of my craft and know exactly uh, what I do in the community and um, how much I love this city, how much I love this province, and how much I love Canada. So at the same time, it's a pendulum that swings. So there's a bunch of people that are very, very noisy on one particular side of the issue. And that's actually okay. What I do blame is social media. 
because social media and Twitter in particular as a platform is a very negative and a very, very dark platform. I haven't had a good time on Twitter in at least five years, maybe even a full decade. And the reality is, is that Twitter's where people, in my opinion, it's only my opinion, where people come to fight. And they want to fight and they want to voice their opinion. Yet, if there's anybody who has an issue, if it's Bobby123 or Sally321 on Twitter, I have no issue. The same way you and I are having a conversation right now, let's pour a cup of coffee because it's the morning. Let's pour a drink because it's the afternoon. And let's talk. I want to know why this song hurts you so much. That wasn't my intention to hurt you. Never. In the case of my music, would I ever set out to write a song to hurt somebody? But if we want to talk about it, go ahead. Don't write on Twitter about how much you hate me. If you want to say it, say it to my face. Mm. Let's do that. That's not a problem because maybe, just maybe, or actually I do believe we could find common ground on the issue. And someone could say, because of this, because of these lyrics, it really affects me. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? I'm sorry about that. Not my intention. Or I can say, hey, what I meant was this. Oh, okay, well, thank you for clearing that up. And we can actually be friends if you want to find common ground. But on Twitter, there's no common ground. Do you, you run your own Twitter you... account? Oh, yeah. Like, so you read the replies, you for read sure. the mentions, well, is actually, Brett Kissel reading them? It, it is It is me, but at the same time, I need to separate myself because that's actually not reality. Social media is not reality. You know, Instagram versus reality, That that's not my reality. If you know me, you know where my heart is. And I don't know some of these people that are writing terrible shit on Twitter. Doesn't doesn't affect me whatsoever. Do you think that the song you you alluded to this? Do you think that a part of the song or that the lyrics are being misinterpreted? And if so, do you think there's? A, I mean, a line in the sand is kind of a. I was I was debating this the other day with a pal. We were talking. We were reading through your lyrics. We were listening to the song. I'm obviously you know preparing to yeah. talk to you. And I'm thinking. I said, you know, the thing about a line in the sand. It's interesting because it's a very aggressive statement, and it's also not at all. Like in the sense that a line in the sand can be washed away by a wave right away. But if you say to someone, I've drawn my line in the sand, you're saying, hell no, we won't go kind of idea. It's that type of thing. So what's yeah. being misinterpreted, do you think, about what you wrote? Oh, I, I think lyrics are meant to be interpreted how, however, however they want. For me, a line in the sand is just a very simple statement that there are things in life that I will do and I won't do. There are things in life that I stand for and I won't stand for. And it's on every topic, every issue. We could talk about sports and my line in the sand is that no, even though I'm playing in Calgary, I will not wear a Flames jersey. That's my line in the sand. You can have comedy with it. But for me, on certain issues, this was just me in the creative outlet drawing my line in the sand. So it wasn't actually meant to be super aggressive it means that i'm accepting that you can hate me the same way on twitter you can hate me if you want to that's okay that's actually your right mm. you have completely full opportunity to hate me hate my lyrics not listen to me sing an anthem never buy a ticket again that's okay i wish that you would it would be wonderful if we could find common ground and if we can actually form a relationship we don't have to be friends, but we can form a relationship and we can actually talk about certain issues. But on Twitter, nobody wants to talk. They just want to fight. Mm. So I don't engage. No problem. But you and I, I mean, the show is called Real Talk. And you and I have an opportunity to sit across a desk, look each other in the eye and get somewhere. I mean, we've done it before. We've had our differences. 
That's a wonderful thing about the human spirit, but on social media, it doesn't exist, so I won't engage. Uh, I want to be clear. Our differences earlier were me and your record label at the yeah, time, not, not me and you, but... <laughs> yeah, uh, but I was, we did settle it over a bottle I was, of whiskey like Albertans do. I was your record label, mm -hmm. and you swung by the TV station, and we did settle it over a bottle of whiskey, and that was about 15 years ago. I think it was about 12 years ago, actually, yeah. and so uh, we do have a history of talking things out and having uncomfortable conversations, and I appreciate it. Um, you had to know what you were doing when you retweeted Jamie Soleil the other day and i wonder if uh, i mean I, I i don't know if this amplifies your brand if this hurts your brand because she's on her own wavelength right now D and, does that uh, hurt you long term you know what it it i didn't think about it whatsoever Come i've on. known i honestly jamie i i'm not following what so many people are doing or saying because i'm just not on social media so jamie and i've known each other for a very very long time and jamie's got a very good heart i can say that Hundred percent. You can't say that. Oh, she doesn't have a good heart. She's definitely very extreme in in her views. There's a lot of things that Jamie has said in the past that I I don't agree with. There's a lot of things that Jamie says in today's or 20 years ago that I do agree with. There's a lot of things that you may say that I disagree with or I do agree with. So the biggest thing is that that was not meant to trigger anything. I was very grateful for what she said about my record. That means a lot to mm. me. Thank you. Do you have to, I mean, does, does a guy like you, when you're plotting it, because uh, uh, something I think is, is relevant, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is, of all of the albums you've released, this is the first that you're releasing independently. Yeah. So you're, 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 we're in a similar boat. Yeah. You know, our eggs are in one basket and we're betting on ourselves. Yes. Do you have to be more careful about this type of stuff now? I mean, you you've, you've, you have controversial business partners, right? Like W. Brett Wilson, you and him yeah. do business together. Yeah. Very outspoken guy, retweeting Jamie Soleil, stuff like this. I, I guarantee on one hand, your album sales will skyrocket from people who love them, but you might see no love from people that have no love for, for folks like those. Do you have to be more strategic about that? No, because I'm caring a lot more about caring less. I mean, when I was part of the when I was part of the label system, it was it was the best decade of of my life. I'm so grateful for my time with uh, with Warner Music. Just what a what an extraordinary group of people and what an amazing memory for me to to learn um, from them and the label system. I, I have not a bad thing to say. I just knew at this time is uh, time for me to spread my wings, really. And as an independent, um, I have a smaller team. It's a very mighty team, and I'm very proud of my team. But I, I just don't care about that stuff. Brett Wilson, I know his heart. I have a wonderful relationship with him. He says a lot of controversial things. And I roll my eyes. Sometimes he and I can have a one-on-one -on -one conversation and say, how do you feel about that? And we'll say, yeah, you know, maybe, maybe we push a boundary a little bit too far or, or this and that. But at the same time, that human being in particular has raised tens of millions of dollars for extraordinary causes and has made the city of Calgary, the province of Alberta, the country of Canada, a much better place. I watched him write a check for a million dollars for the Saskatchewan Children's Hospital. That's, that's a pretty special thing to see with my own two eyes. Does it absolve you of certain things that could harm a lot of people? No, not necessarily, but at the same time, you need to understand that people have good hearts if you choose to have those conversations and get to know them on a deeper level. So when it says about me retweeting Brett Wilson or anything like that, that's just social media. That's just noise to me. It really is. It's making this issue much bigger than it needs to be. How important is social media to your business? Uh, I mean, yeah, the platforms are still important yeah. because that's how you get your music out. But at the same time, it's a, it's, it's, it's a very, very dark and treacherous path it really can be we've all experienced it both you and me mm -hmm. 
But at the same time, it's great because we've got a platform and we've got things that we want to promote. And actually, if you want to look at my page or you want to look at my wife's page or a lot of pages that we follow, I mean, that's just pure positivity. That's just pure light. That's a wonderful thing about social media where we can amplify that and those messages. That's a very beautiful thing about social media. But still in this current chapter and with this song in particular, yeah, it sure got negative in a, in a hurry, but wasn't my intention. Do you feel pressure as a, as a prominent uh, you know, personality, as someone in the public eye to pick a side uh, in, in something like this, I mean, with pandemic restrictions, you know, I, I, I go back to this lyric where you say my boss comes up to me, says I better toe the line. You can take away my paycheck, but you can't take my pride. You know, that's going to resonate with some people. Of course, I mean, there, you know, there are people that refuse to get vaccinated. There are people that refuse other pandemic restrictions. They refuse to adhere to those. And in some circumstances, they paid for it uh, with their livelihood or with their employment. Did you feel pressure to pick a side and, and have their back in a sense? No, I didn't feel any pressure other than the internal pressure to really look and discern for myself what's really going on, what's really going on at this particular time in my life, what's best for my family. So the only pressure that I felt was doing what was best for my family, and I made a lot of choices. I chose to uh, homeschool our children. I chose to spend um, time in the United States when everything was really shut down. Well, let's let's go to Nashville. Let's go and let's, um, you know, it, it's open there, so let's Let's go and experience concerts and go play a bunch of shows in the United States. So for me, there was only pressure and the only pressure that I felt was what I put on myself or what my wife and I internally had. So to pick a side, every issue, there's a fork on the road. Every issue, you can pick a side. And usually I will. I mean, in sports or, or even politics or whatever. And some of it is private. Some of it is public. And some of it is nobody's business. Some of it I make everybody's business because I like to talk about it. But... In some of this thing, it's a very, very, um, it, there's very deep waters here to navigate through in terms of talking about pandemic and response, which is for me, I actually just, I mean, if you follow me, you know where I stand and I wrote a song about it. So it's exactly how well, I feel. Well, that's what I want to nail down because you're like, if you follow me, you know where I stand. I wrote a song about it. And then you're saying, yeah, but like you can interpret it however you want and different songs yeah, mean different absolutely. things to different If you people. never knew me, if you never knew me, you hear the song for the first time, you could think something completely different. It strikes me as a freedom convoy anthem. That's how it strikes yeah. me. And I think Great. it's being embraced that's by the no supporters problem. of the freedom convoy. That's no no problem if that's how you interpret it. If it's it. your song and you're okay with it, it then that's not, okay with you. It was not my, no, that that's you putting words into my mind. No, no, no. I'm just telling so, you my impression of and it. And if that's your impression, that's totally fine because music is subjective. Mm. But I never set out once to write the anthem of the Freedom Convoy. The Freedom Convoy is over. That was last February. That's what I'm wondering about. I was like, why now? Why release the song? It feels like kicking a hornet's nest when you're already through the hike. You know what I mean? Like, do yeah. you feel like, you know, do, 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 does it feel now, like things? Now, that's a very good question. Why now? I don't have an answer to that question other than I still feel the way that those lyrics say to a degree. And now maybe just maybe I'm not going to be... Uh, pushed with my back up against the wall mm. i think how yeah. did you feel your back was against the wall oh countless ways we don't have we don't have enough time or enough whiskey with this brand new bourbon that you've got to to talk about that it was just it was endless anybody in arts and entertainment actually we all felt our backs against the wall there is no denying that there is nobody who escaped the last three years unscathed without 
permanent scars. Do you think anything's ever going to go back to normal? No. Like if there if there was uh, no. if there was a Brett Kissel concert five years ago, you'd have people there that supported Stephen Harper at the time. You'd have people there that supported Justin Trudeau. You'd have people that supported Rachel Notley and that supported, you know, Jason Kenney or the conservative premiers before him. You'd have people that cheered for the Oilers and the Flames. You'd have men and women, young and old. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that's the case now. A, and I'm not just talking about you. No, it's a very divided world right now. And and we have to get back to um, to unity in, in a lot of ways. And so for me, I mean... I'm also aware that that is just the state of the world at this time. If anybody does come to a concert, I mean, I do my very best to bring people in in a really special way and, and, and hold their attention for two hours and talk about how grateful I am that they're there, how grateful I am that we're sharing these moments together. We can forget about the world for a couple of hours and we can just be and enjoy this moment. That's a wonderful thing. That's a gift that I've been given that I, I'm able to present in that way. But when you're saying, will anything go back to normal? Like that was the first question mm -hmm. that you just asked that like, no, no normal that that was then this is now. And I'm trying to ask that question of anybody I talk to, whether it's, it's, a, it's a country star or an epidemiologist yeah. or, or whatever the case may be. And I don't think it will either. I hope that it will in 20 years. But I think that people have long memories. And I think that that goes both ways. Yes. I think that that people that have a conviction that some didn't do what they should have done and, and didn't buy in. Some people that have disdain toward, for example, the Freedom Convoy will always feel something toward friends of theirs or former friends of theirs that supported or participated yeah. in the convoy and vice versa. Absolutely. It was, it was the Great Divide. It was the Great Divide. You know, 2020 and 2021 was the year of the Great Divide. And it was unfortunate to see that. But at the same time, I'm very, very blessed to have such a great group of friends and family members and a great community and it's so supportive and there's so much positivity there and my amount of friends has really shrunk over the last couple of years but by design i was gonna ask intentionally and uh, absolutely and it had nothing to do with opinions it had nothing to do with all of these different things that people would think it was just really doubling down my efforts on the people that i really resonate with and give out positivity and great energy and i'm very grateful for the group of friends that i have right now mm. i mean i think i've got a million acquaintances but the really good group of friends i could just count on you know honestly just a few fingers now what i mean by that to all bring it all back is that it was the year of the great divide and that's just the way that it happened so Will we get back to normal? I hope that we get back to, uh, not back, I hope we get to a spot where things are better than they've ever been. Now that's what I'm holding the focus for. Mm. I and think so, that's going to take time. It'll take time. I hope that you're right. I hope that that does happen. I don't know yeah. if it's happening anytime soon. And, and I think that this dust up is, is evidence of that. I think that people still, did you, I, I was trying to figure something out again, and I've, I've been skimming and browsing the, the you know, the, yeah. the chatter around this album and the, and this song in particular, did you recently play a, a healthcare worker benefit or something in Ontario? There was, there, there or, or, or something recently, do you know what I'm talking about? There yeah. was, a, there was an association of healthcare providers that tweeted at you something. They were using their blowtorch and they weren't happy. Uh, they, I think they felt like they thought that you had their back and then that the song, Kind well, of that's, took that's, a big swipe that's at kind healthcare of speculative because I don't know exactly what it particular is what particular tweet you may be talking about. Again, like I do run my social media. Do you I have, have a, a message? Put it this way: Do you have a message to healthcare workers that felt like you're cracking? 
You know that you're, uh, you're smacking down restrictions as as they were working overtime, trying to keep people out of ICUs <laughs> and trying to keep people alive. I mean, very. That's there's there's a lot that can be said about that that particular issue, and so no, I'm not I'm not going to talk about that. What I will say is that I played in the province of Prince Edward Island, and I've played all across the country now, doing a lot of events for uh, healthcare workers, heroes of the front line hometown heroes and everything like that, it's very, very important to support and tip my cowboy hat and help raise a lot of money for very important causes across the nation. And I've and I've done that. So my body of work really, I think, speaks for itself. So if there's some particular tweets or uh, people on social media that are upset about this particular song, yeah, that's okay. I don't have it in front of me. I mean, it's one yeah. thing you talked about, like Sally one two three or Barry three two one or whatever. It's it's different when it's like an association or an organization that's putting a, a tweet out there. It was one that that grabbed my attention. So this is so this is kind of an unprecedented release for you. This Compass Project. You, you've you've got the, the the South, the North, the West, and the East yeah. albums. This is the South. Um, I have to assume a sort of a tip of the cap or a reference to your home in Tennessee. Yeah, absolutely. And and you're going to be releasing four albums in one year. Yes. Never done anything like this before. No, never. Uh, and I'm extremely proud of it because each, like the, the needle of the compass is going to point obviously northeast, southwest. So four releases this year. We'll talk about a different um, spot in, in, in my heart and a different... Um, zone that I can really go into as an entertainer and also just as a human being. So the East record that'll come out next is all acoustic and it's singer songwriters and it's a, an ode to the great singer songwriters of really of the East coast and how much I love um, that part of the world. So it's 10 songs of truly singer songwriter. If you and I sat a, you know, around a campfire and you said, Hey, play me some of your favorite songs that you've ever written songs that aren't on the radio, but beautiful acoustic songs and so it's an entire album dedicated to that the west album is all country and western and knowing what uh that there could be some controversy i mean i wrote a song called oil and cattle about how much i love you know oil and cattle and there's probably gonna be a lot of people that don't like that song but that's not my intention i'm just telling people how much i love my homeland in alberta so i'm just i think uh, a bit of a target at this time and honestly that's okay not intended but so be it. Well, you're not you're not the first artist, uh, let alone the first you know uh, performer or person in the public eye to plant their yeah. flag on something. Um, I've always appreciated your willingness to show up for conversations, uh, and today is no different. And well, thanks, uh, I'm grateful to have you sitting here around the Real Talk table in our new studio. Yeah, well, it's a great new studio, and yeah, thank you uh, for the opportunity. The biggest thing that my takeaway is on social media, people come to fight. And if you can have a real conversation, real talk, and it, like sometimes when the mics are off, like, hey, what, how do you really, really, really feel? Mm. And if there's anybody on social media that, you know, might talk to me when I'm walking in a grocery store, say, hey, I want to have a conversation about a certain issue. No problem. I'm Does that ever happen? Oh, absolutely. It's happened. Actually, many times it has. Um, about serious stuff? Yes, Not just absolutely. questions about no, life honestly, on the road? And, and about, the, about the pandemic, whether it be you know, supportive of, of one person's particular views or really against it. And the best part about it, if you can actually look into somebody's eyes, you can find common ground. Or if you can't find common, common ground in those circumstances, then you need to say, you know what, maybe we'll pick this up again or maybe in another lifetime. Maybe we'll be friends then. And that's okay too. There he is, three-time Juno Award winner, Brett Kissel right here live in the Real Talk studio. 
appreciate you mentioning the bourbon, by the way. You know, people can get their hands on that. I we can't just, wait to we, try we, it. We launched it on Thursday. Congratulations. Uh, thanks, Brett. You, you can find our bourbon at Whiskey Drop. You know this. This is the Real Talk Cask Number 2 Maple Bourbon. We've done this with Broken Barrel Whiskey Company, and uh, it's easy to find. You go to whiskeydrop.ca, and then you click on the uh, search link, and uh, you search Real Talk. There it is, Real Talk Cast Number Two, and it's going to pop right up for you. This is uh, a really, really special process that the team at Broken Barrel goes through. I was telling you about these staves, as their name would suggest. They take old barrels that have been used for a number of different applications, and they smash them up with sledgehammers. They crush them. All right, and in this particular case, they took a big cask of whiskey, they crushed up the maple syrup, they crushed up the maple syrup barrels. And then they throw the staves, the wood splinters, into a fresh virgin oak cask where that whiskey is, where that bourbon is. In go the maple staves infusing a phenomenal flavor. You can just imagine how that translates in bourbon. If you're a fan of old fashions, maple old fashions in particular, this is a bourbon you will not want to miss. It's going to sell out quickly. You can order it online. They'll even ship across Canada. You're listening to us from... BC, Prince Edward Island, wherever you are, you go to whiskeydrop.ca and you can order your bourbon for delivery or pick it up at Whiskey Drop. That's Whiskey Drop in West Edmonton, the Real Talk cask number two, Maple Bourbon. We're also grateful to the support of our friends at California Closets. Check out californiaclosets.ca. You want custom closets? You want to take a your organization, your home decor, the value of your home to a whole new level? You'll find custom closets and storage solutions for the entire home with California Closets. It all starts with a free design consultation. They're doing garages now in a way that nobody else is. The garage, let's be honest, oftentimes overlooked, isn't it? Well, not with California Closets. You talk to their team, they'll get you all set up in a way that you'll add value to your home when you decide to sell it. But more importantly, you're going to add enjoyment and usability and functionality to your home while you're living there. Trust the team at California Closets. At Friesen Brothers, hey, it's Valentine's Day. and They've got you covered. If you don't yet have a plan in place, if it's last minute panic city, Friesen Brothers has the sweet and savory charcuterie boxes at Friesen.com. Share the love of really great food with the Friesen Brothers charcuterie box. You can order these today or all the way through to February 20th. They're going to keep it going at Friesen.com. You can also learn more about the future of Alberta food. It's an artisan cuisine challenge. Friesen Brothers is proud to support an opportunity for you to check out the wares and the talents of some of Alberta's rising young chefs, the stars of today and tomorrow, plus Friesen Brothers, big supporters of Heart Month. You can check that out online at Friesen.com. And if you're looking this year to increase perhaps your, I mean, really make more of a serious commitment, increase your, your ability to really look to everybody and say, hey, we want to go green. We want to lessen our footprint, our environmental footprint. We want to do something that that benefits planet Earth and benefits us as well. Solar is more usable, more affordable, more efficient, more reliable than ever before. Just ask the team at Kubi Energy. That's kubienergy.ca where you can go to get your free quote. You can check out their blog there. They've got some great information, solar information on energy systems 
including agriculture, what they're doing on farms and ranches. What about on the commercial side? Big warehouse installations. Kubi does a ton of those. And then, of course, residential as well. We mentioned the affordability side. The Canada Greener Homes Grant is what a lot of people are looking to right now to make the solar happen maybe ahead of schedule. A $40,000 interest-free loan courtesy of... uh, The government of Canada, I shouldn't say courtesy, that's a weird way to put it, isn't it? But the government's making it available. It's our money, but they're making it available, interest-free, payable over 10 years. And the team at Kubi Energy can get you started with your free quote today at kubienergy.ca. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to uh, Emma Gilchrist. She's a, a journalist and one of the founders of the Narwhal and Amber Bracken, who's been on the show uh, several times, an internationally renowned photojournalist who was arrested uh, while photographing uh, the goings-on with Suet and Blockade in BC. We'll get you up to speed on that story and find out why the Narwhal and why Amber Bracken are suing the RCMP. This is news that broke uh, just yesterday, and uh, we're looking forward to insights on that. This really is a, a, a remarkable circumstance, somewhat, somewhat of a precedent-setting case. And, of course, this is one that's capturing people's attention across the country because people are talking about what freedom of the press looks like in Canada and some of the barriers that have stood in the way of the press and journalists' ability to cover stories that matter to the Canadian people. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's coming up in just a moment. I was going to say, it's even going on in the States right now, and I know we haven't talked about it because we still don't know enough, but like with everything going on in Ohio, like... And the train wreck. You're talking about that train derailment. That environmental disaster is. And like the reporters are being pushed out, and they're just they're just simply doing their jobs. It's it's really scary. uh, That uh, that uh, story, if people have not been paying attention to it, it was Mm -hmm. something like a a million liters of these toxic chemicals that that were leaking, and they're Mm -hmm. they're getting into water sources down there. Everybody's keeping an eye on this. But the thing is, it's all speculation. We don't know for sure because there's just no information, and everyone's trying to get information, and they're just being blocked and i understand it's it's probably hard to get the exact information like you know how much was on the train you don't know how much is leaked into here or water and everyone's scared but i mean at some point they just gotta let people ask like questions and i i just saw another reporter from like i think it was abc or something getting pushed out of a talk when they were just simply trying to get some information on this right it's really scary there was actually another train wreck i think in texas like a couple days later but yeah. And and people got to think like I know that, you know, we, we've talked about this. Remember, we did, we had our future of journalism roundtable a couple yeah. of Fridays ago. And um, right now you look at different industries that have that, that are grappling with some of the realities right now, not in a good way. Some of the real mm-hmm. challenges and journalism is one of those industries on on at least a couple of fronts. Yeah. Uh, number one on on. The money side. Mm-hmm. Uh, newspapers have really survival. been struggling. Uh, survival. Um, and you see a lot of uh, newsrooms either closing down or going all digital. Uh, and then, of course, you've seen it on TV and radio as well. The small market coverage has really suffered and in some cases completely evaporated. And then you look at where public trust is at. 
and the public trust uh, with journalism has taken a big hit uh, over the past number of years. Mm-hmm. And it's among those industries that are really struggling with this. And so when you take a look at a case involving, for example, Emma and Amber, and we'll talk to them in just a little bit, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily just fighting for Amber Bracken, or it's not just fighting for the Narwhal or other independent outlets or coverage of certain types of stories. It's all of it. It's all of it, <laughs> yeah. right? And so you're going to see support, and I saw it yesterday online, you're going to see support from from uh, you know a whole bunch of other outlets, uh, maybe not from their official accounts, sure. but from a lot of the journalists in particular that mm-hmm. recognize the value of this lawsuit and, and really the remarkable step that they've taken. Yeah, it's, it's just people don't understand the value of information these days. And I think we need to transfer that value and and really put it back in the pockets of the people who do this. Like nobody gets into journalism to be like, I want to, you know, cover up lies and and deceive people. Mm. Like they get into journalism because they want to get great stories, the hard truth and change people's minds on things or give opinions or give the the whole story like a well-balanced. And today it's just, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. If it's not what you want to hear, you're yelling at them, right? So Yeah, no kidding, to say the very least. Uh, before we get to Emma and Amber, we'll talk to them in just a second. Every Tuesday here on the show, we recognize and celebrate innovation. It's a huge part of, of what drives us forward as a society, these, these discoveries and the investments that people make in those innovations across the different spaces, whether we're talking in tech or healthcare, for example, health and wellness is huge. That's why our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy are so big on recognizing and celebrating innovation where they see it. But we wanted to turn the spotlight around this week in this edition of the Leading Edge. Yeah, that's right. We wanted to focus on Leading Edge Physiotherapy themselves. Check out their Instagram. You can find them on Instagram at leading underscore edge underscore physiotherapy. A beautiful new video giving back a real edge in support of the Zebra Child Protection Center. You know, for more than 20 years, the Zebra Child Protection Center has brought together community partners like the Edmonton Police Service, Alberta Children's Services, the Solicitor General to provide a continuum of support in a child-friendly environment for children and youth who have experienced abuse. It's a horrific situation, but people are doing everything they can to provide support wherever they can. Last year, almost 3,000 children and youth benefited from the services and supports at the Zebra Child Protection Center. At Leading Edge Physiotherapy, they have led the charge in supporting Zebra, and that includes the Run Wild Initiative, supporting child support services programs, the Backpack Home Program, where children receive backpacks full of appropriate clothing and pajamas and personal items and and toys, a safe space where kids can tell. You know, they're providing support services in the thousands for children, youth, and their families. You can learn more about what they're doing at zebracenter.ca. And we want to take a moment to applaud our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy for their ongoing commitment to this wonderful cause. Just this past June, Leading Edge made the Zebra Center their June Charity of the Month. But their commitment continues around the calendar year. You can learn more about what they do online at leadingedgephysio.com. This is presented by our friends at Leading Edge Physiotherapy. Life shouldn't hurt. 
This is a story that, of course, is grabbing the attention of news watchers, I think it's safe to say, around the world. Photojournalist Amber Bracken and the Narwhal are suing the RCMP. They're running this up to the Supreme Court for the violation of their charter rights after Amber Bracken was wrongfully arrested and detained while covering the enforcement of an injunction in Wet'suwet'en territory as a journalist in late 2021. Uh, Amber and uh, Narwhal co-founder Emma Gilchrist, kind enough to join us this morning. Thank you both for your time and thanks for making yourselves available. Amber, you've told us about this arrest in past on the show. I remember back to that time in your life. It was obviously uh, a challenging time for you as a professional. I would imagine very challenging on a personal front. Uh, What led to the announcement that you're suing the RCMP? Was this a long time coming? Did you know this was going to happen from that day back in 2021? We knew right away that we wanted to do something, but it has been a long road to deciding to take action. Um, I would, I don't want to speak over Emma because I think this has been a a big part of uh, the Narwhal's due diligence, but this is a major undertaking. It's going to take a long time. It's going to be very expensive and, um, both the narwhal and myself have lots of real news gathering things to be doing instead. Um, so yes, it was a long, <laughs> it's been a long road to decide to take this action. Emma, the, the narwhal and, and of course, Amber suing for damages uh, relating to what you describe as the RCMP's arbitrary arrest and detention. You're seeking acknowledgement that the narwhal and Bracken's press freedom rights uh, pursuant to section 2B of the charter were breached. Uh, what's your perspective on this? Why was this important for you? It, it, this isn't easy, what you're embarking on. Yeah, I think why it was so important and why we ultimately decided to do it is because what happened to Amber was kind of the latest in a string of incidents with the police in Canada overreaching with journalists and preventing journalists from being able to do their jobs. And so when we really sat down with it, we felt like we kind of had to do it uh, for press freedom in this country and for the fundamental principles of democracy to be upheld. You know, we've gotten into this case in Canada where there's, you know, the baseline keeps getting lower and lower in terms of the conduct of police. Um, You know, you have police arresting journalists and moving them outside of injunction zones and something kind of known as catch and release. Um, And then, you know, they escalated with the arrest and detainment of Amber. And there hasn't been any real consequence for police. Um, they've, they haven't been sued for this. They haven't had to pay damages for this. There hasn't, you know, been a declaration of a charter rights violation. And, you know, we really need that for all journalists to be able to do their jobs and ultimately for the public to have the right to know what's happening. Amber, how, how unusual was this? experience was this arrest i mean like i i know that journalists i've i've been there before i've never been arrested but i but i've been there you got to fight for stories and you got to fight for that photo that could win you a world press photo of the year like 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 you've won in past but but journalists have to be assertive they have to get their feet in the door so to speak what set this one apart as emma uh pointed to this is a pattern of behavior um, and it's been escalating over a number of years. I've been photographing for 15 years. I've been a photojournalist for 15 years um, and I have watched over time as it became more and more normalized for police to incur 
these infringements and to interfere with journalists. And you do watch a, a, a progression. And the more that we don't do anything about it, the more that we don't stand up and, and say this is not okay, the more that police become acclimatized to the new normal. And so this is really important. This is um, this was 15 years in the making to have me actually be arrested and removed from from my work because you know over the years there's there's a gradual increase of infractions. Emma, what what sort of support are you seeing or what messages are you receiving uh, on, on behalf of you and your team at, at the Narwhal from other journalism outlets? Uh, Johnny and I were talking before we welcomed the two of you to the show and it and it feels like this is a fight bigger than Amber Bracken and the Narwhal versus the RCMP. Yeah, it absolutely is. And yeah, we're very happy to have the support of the Canadian Association of Journalists who put out a statement yesterday and many other press freedom groups who we know are standing behind us, as well as, you know, the, the larger media organizations in this country who, you know, we felt a lot of support from since the time of Amber's arrest because, you know, everybody's been experiencing this increasing inability to do our work due to police overreach. And so, yeah, we're definitely feeling support from from media across the spectrum in Canada, as well as, you know, hundreds of donors and supporters. We are fundraising to support this case, which is likely to cost in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, which is a lot for a small nonprofit news organization to take on. Um, so, yeah, we're really happy to see an outpouring of support from Canadians across the spectrum. I want to let people know they can go to the narwhal.ca and uh, the minute that you do, you'll see a, a window pop up uh, inviting you to stand up for press freedom. It says journalism is not a crime. Uh, gives you an opportunity to subscribe with your email to learn more about this case and, and ostensibly offer your support. Amber, w were there steps taken, or maybe both of you can answer this? Amber, you first uh, behind the scenes. I mean, was there negotiation with the RCMP? Was there was there a, a request or an opportunity for a settlement uh, before this lawsuit was filed? Can can you take us into what happened ahead of time? Uh, there's there's no offer of settlement. Um, what happened was we were I was charged uh, at the time, and then the the charges were quietly dropped before Christmas, I believe Christmas Eve. And there has been some conversation which Emma can speak to with the RCMP. Um, but what has become clear is that the the conversation that has occurred from the CAJ um, outcry from the general public conversations such as uh, the Narwhal had in private with the RCMP and even direction from the Supreme Court of British Columbia, um, specifically uh, directing police to reassess their use of these very vast exclusion zones and to uh, work more productively with, with journalists has changed nothing. Um, and so this is where we have decided that it's time to step forward and and look for real consequences, because that seems to be the only thing that is likely to make a difference. Yeah, Emma, I mean, this this could obviously be hugely significant. Yeah, I think it's really important to remember that there have been a couple of court rulings in the past that have, you know, slapped police on the wrist for what they have done in removing journalists from injunction zones. And so the fact that we haven't seen behavior change, we haven't seen policy change in the RCMP, the RCMP did not appear to even be aware of these decisions when Amber was arrested, 
really drives home the point that somebody, you know, in the media community needs to be more proactive. And that's the difference here is a lot of these, um, you know, when media has been dragged into these battles before, they've been very reactive. And this is really that proactive attempt to really make sure that police have to change their policies in Canada permanently and acknowledge that, you know, there is a freedom of the press in this country. It's in the Charter of Rights and Freedoms for a reason. And, you know, when police aren't upholding the rules of this country, that's where the courts have to step in. Amber, you've shot stateside as well. Uh, people people can see uh, some of your remarkable work at amberbracken.com. In the context of what we're talking about here with regards to freedom of the press, the relationship between, uh, maybe you wouldn't choose that word relationship, but let me say the coexistence between law enforcement and journalists. Uh, how would you compare, based on your experience, uh, Canada and the United States? Um, I, I actually think relationship is a fine word. I think that when everything is functioning well, there should be, a, you know, a coalition of professionals doing the work that they need to do and respecting the work that the other parties need to do. Um, and throughout my 15 year career, I've never had a problem um, or interfering with police or getting in the way of their work. I respect the work that they have to do and I'm happy to give them the space that they need to do that. Um to go back to the United States, I think I was never arrested in the United States. I think there's still challenges with working with law enforcement in any kind of heated enforcement situation. But the fact remains that I was arrested in Canada um, reporting on a story that I have invested three years of of reporting on. So I guess that's the fundamental difference. Emma, do you, with, with regard, I mean, I would imagine there's been a lot of background, obviously, research on this. There's probably a lot of, of thought that's, that's, been, that, that's gone into this as well. Do you think that the average Canadian uh, understands what's at stake here? Do you think that the average Canadian, you know, we, we, we can talk bigger picture. I mean, just even about the birth of the narwhal and independent journalism and storytelling and how local coverage is, is I hate to say dying on the vine, but in, in many communities across the country, it's, it's evaporated. Does the average Canadian understand what's at stake with, with regards to stories being told? You know, I, I, I don't know that they do. I think some do. And I think this case also represents an opportunity to speak about that, you know, and it is interesting that it comes at a time when there's been such erosion of public interest journalism in this country and erosion of trust in journalism in this country, too. And so, you know, I think this really kind of goes back to those fundamental underpinnings of democracy in terms of the need for, you know, a free press when you you know, look around the world at places that don't have a free press, you know, places where police and governments can control what the press says, um, you know, you have some totalitarian regimes. And I don't think that's what people want Canada to be like. And, you know, in order to, you know, maintain our values as Canadians, Indians, we need to make sure that we hold the line there and make sure that that, you know, baseline doesn't keep on shifting so that we don't get on this creeping path, you know, towards living in a kind of country that isn't, you know, one that we recognize. Amber, can you tell us, I mean, you know, what your DMs have looked like, what your texts have looked like, your emails uh, over the past 24, 48 hours, some, some of the more notable uh, comments that you've received? I would imagine that you, you've heard from I would imagine hundreds of people. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's it's hard to pick anyone out, but I've had an or outpouring of messages of support. Um, I would say overwhelmingly positive, overwhelmingly excited that this is happening. 
there is a lot of people in Canada that have experienced this and are, are deal, like recognize the fact that exclusion zones and RCMP overreach is an issue. And uh, people are excited to be seeing an opportunity to have this really important conversation uh, and ideally progress like legislation on it. We, we, we uh, have let this go too far. And the worst possible moment to be uh, dealing with this issue of police overreach is in the heat of the moment when you're actually on the ground. And that's why we need direction from the courts. We need the uh, police to change their policies themselves because at the moment, all you want to do is report your story. And it's not really the moment to be taking away from what you're doing to to be in a disagreement with police about um, your ability to access the story. Yeah, to say the least, uh, I, I'm sure you've been keeping an eye on the story. It's, it, it's you know, the way that the news cycle works is if I need to uh, tell the two of you this, uh, but stories and, and stories of great significance oftentimes can can drop out of our awareness. People are, are talking about spy balloons, you know, floating over North American airspace and, and then, uh, you know, and, and obviously an environmental disaster uh, down in the U.S. with a train derailment, and, and we have an election coming up here in the province of Alberta, and that means that other stories are, are simply falling by the wayside, or at least out of the public eye. Um, have you been keeping a keen eye on on what's happening in, in the uh, the wet sweat and, and and this blockade that was initially established back in September of, of 2021? Is this one that's because of not just the arrest, but your involvement in telling the story, the people that you came to know there, is, th- is this one that continues to to resonate with you on, on maybe almost a daily basis? Um, yeah, absolutely. There's no doubt that I've, I always follow what's happening on the territory. The Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs still oppose the pipeline. The pipeline is still being constructed. Uh, there's still encampments out there. They just are not blockading at this time. Um, and the narwhal does an amazing job of following the granular reporting of uh, what's happening with the environmental, uh, the environmental oversight and the things with the rivers and um, yeah, all of the the different issues that come up in this ongoing story. Hmm. Emma, before I thank you both for your time, I just want to focus on the narwhal for a second. Uh, people can check it out at the narwhal.ca for obvious reasons. We're big fans of independent journalism and independent storytelling. Uh, I see that today Carl Myers just published a story. Uh, Are Canadian oil sands companies working to save the planet or save face? Uh, it's gutsy telling these types of stories. It's gutsy building a team and, and establishing an entity and and hiring people and, and, and really pushing out uh, regular, reputable uh, content, content with integrity. Um, what led you to to co-found the Narwhal a few years? It was 2018, I think, if I remember correctly. And uh, and 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 what do you think the future looks like for independent storytellers like you and your team? Yeah, well, I think you really kind of touched on it in talking about how a lot of these stories they kind of drop out of the headlines and we move on to the next, you know, unidentified flying object or whatever is you know sexy in the headlines. And we really found in the Narwhal to keep an eye on those important stories that are out of sight and out of mind and to tell them in a context rich way that really helps people make sense of the world. We we think that Canadians don't want more news. They want better news. And, you know, since we launched in 2018, we've been able to grow from a staff of two to a staff of 22. So in a time when people say that people aren't willing to pay for journalism, we're finding quite the opposite. And, 
yeah, we look forward to continuing to invest deeply in in-depth and investigative work. You know, we publish about once a day. We don't publish, you know, a ton of content. We focus on quality over over quantity and our readers keep rewarding us for that. And for that, we're very, very grateful. I mean, stories like, you know, what you're talking about uh, and some of the subject matter you cover, obviously the the commitment that it takes to, to do those stories right uh, is significant. And uh, we wish you continued success with the Narwhal. Uh, Amber, on a personal and a professional level, we're in your corner and we wish you well with this endeavor. Uh, people can learn more about supporting this and, uh, of course, financially and otherwise uh, by checking out the narwhal.ca. You can check out Amber's work online as well at amberbracken.com. Thank you both for making yourselves available to Real Talk today. We appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us. You Thank you, it. Ryan. You bet, Amber. Keep up the great work. In just a second, uh, we're going to head out to, uh, I think we're going to Berlin. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to be talking to a scientist uh, that's going to help us understand the chemistry of chocolate. It's Valentine's Day, you know, and uh, I hope that for someone, this isn't like their first notice that today is Valentine's Day. If it is, though, you've still got time to figure something out. Uh, that's coming up in, in just a second. These conversations happen because of the support of sponsors like our friends at Park Power who are really, really intent on making sure that your family is not spending too much on things like electricity, natural gas, and internet. That's right. On the utilities that you need to function. But of course, as cost of living rises, as inflation rises... Life's just becoming more expensive. It's never made more sense to compare rates on what you're paying for these utilities today at parkpower.ca. Takes two minutes and takes about five minutes to bring your business over to them. They'll break up with your old provider for you. You don't even have to worry about that phone call. The best part is that you can save $150 off your first bill by bundling all three services. The promo code REALTALK23 knocks $50 off if you bring your electricity business over, another $50 for natural gas, and another $50 for internet. It's never made more sense than it does to bring your business right now over to Park Power. Have you figured out your Valentine's Day plan yet? If not... Our friends at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park are ready to bail you out big time with their triple truffle blizzard cake. Why not start your Valentine's celebration with a DQ cake? Your lover doesn't necessarily want heart-shaped jewelry. No Maybe one want does. a heart-shaped cake. No one does, just for the just for the record. Nobody does. It's Nobody too much pressure. It. Nobody wants it. Take the pressure off. And head to the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, Baseline Road. They've got you covered whether you call ahead of time and order something or just walk right in. Plus, the blizzard of the month, that triple truffle blizzard, just the peanut butter fudge and caramel truffle blend with chocolate and, of course, that world-famous DQ vanilla soft serve. And if you're thinking takeout meal as well, maybe the honey barbecue chicken strip basket, that's my personal recommendation from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Here's another idea. What about a landscaping overhaul. I mean, you're looking for something to really knock your Valentine socks off. Why yeah. not bring your outdoor space to life? Johnny, what do you think? Maybe a water feature? This is way better than heart-shaped jewelry. Way better than heart-shaped <laughs> jewelry. And and, and, and and it might cost even less, depending on the jewelry you're looking for. Mike and his team have been bringing custom visions to life 
solving construction problems. I mean, all the boring stuff, but it's really relevant. You know, like drainage or retaining walls that are collapsing. I mean, these guys are problem solvers. You can check out what they do by browsing their portfolio online. LandscapeEdmonton.ca is where you will find our friends at Eden Landscaping. It all starts with a visit to their website, a quick consult, get the ball rolling so they can get shovels in the ground this spring. I love that idea for a Valentine's Day gift. Mm-hmm. Might have to, might have just figured out my Valentine's Day gift, Johnny. <laughs> hey, maybe if this is the time of year that you're looking for a, a new opportunity, you're a professional engineer. Maybe you're catching this anywhere across the country or even outside Canada. Apex Automation is hiring all the time. They don't send us notes and say we're hiring this week, or, or, or they're always hiring. They're opening up field offices. They're expanding their business in automation, in engineering, in fabrication across a number of different industries, including autonomous vehicles. Really fascinating stuff. Get on the cutting edge and, and be part of a team that's giving people back their time on the client side and on the team side. You can check out the careers link online today at Apex Automation. Well, we're going to wrap up today's show. This is fun. This is just a whole lot of fun. Now, I guess we could be be enabling you in a sense right now. You know, today is a day where, you know, you've had your New Year's resolutions and maybe you've sworn off chocolate for like the last six weeks, but maybe you don't need to. Like, Like maybe chocolate is actually good for you. We're about to find out. Dr. Dietmar Kennepol is a chemistry professor at Athabasca University. He's a recipient of the 2021 3M National Teaching Fellowship for his innovative approach to education. He's involved in a ton of different science outreach initiatives, including public lectures, chemistry demonstrations, and the Alberta Teachers Association Science Council workshops. He's been a chief judge at the Edmonton Regional Science Fair, and he's the author of an article, Understanding the Chemistry of chocolate. Doctor, it's perfect timing to bring you here on the show. May I wish you a very happy Valentine's Day. Thanks for making time for us today. So, hi, Ryan. So, uh, uh, thank you and happy Valentine's Day from Berlin, where I'm uh, coming to you from today. So, wonderful. What takes you to Berlin? Are you there? Are you there on professional assignment? Exactly. I'm, I'm here for on a one year sabbatical leave doing some research at the Free University in Berlin. So, I love it. Uh, yeah. People are people can check out uh, in the show notes here on the podcast or on YouTube. We'll have the link there and they can check your paper. Understanding the passion and chemistry of chocolate. It's published online at news.athabascau.ca. What is it about chocolate that captured your attention as a chemist? Well, I, you know, like many natural products, uh, chocolate has all sorts of uh, uh, components in it that are are very interesting, and of course, uh, you know, especially uh, today because there's such a strong association of chocolate with Valentine's Day and romance. Uh, it's always interesting to talk about it because I always like to talk to people about science and about chemistry in particular. And uh, you know, if you have that hook, that interest already there in something like chocolate. Um, it's just easier to kind of uh, talk a little bit about the chemistry and the art and the history and all the connections that you have with chocolate. Human beings, uh, I mean, I guess we have to go back to, and and please correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we have to go back to the the cocoa bean here, right? Like this is where this all begins. What, what, What does the human relationship with this bean look like historically? 
So, so this is what we know. Uh, we know that in, in Central and South America, we had the, the cocoa bean and um, the indigenous people there use that for all sorts of things, for art, for sometimes for currency, but they also would take the beans and crush them and make a drink out of it. And this is kind of interesting because, uh, you know, in modern times, we think of chocolate as something that you eat. But it was only up until, I guess, maybe the mid-1800s that chocolate was something that you would drink. So would, you would have your, your cocoa. And so um, in Central and South America, um, they would be drinking these cocoa drinks. And uh, it, it had kind of a, not so much a romantic connection, but it was a drink that would invigorate you. And it was it had certain rumors of having aphrodisiac uh, effects. So it was kind of like the Viagra of its day. And and so uh, eventually the uh, cocoa bean and the idea of chocolate came to Europe with the uh, with the explorers um, and uh, was, you know, enjoyed in Europe as well as a drink. There were like chocolate houses all over Europe. Initially, it was just royalty, but then, you know, the upper class, you know, so if you had lots of money, you would go to the the, the cocoa house and and have a drink. And so, it you know, it uh, it had that sort of reputation. But it was always something that, you know, would give you a little burst of energy and, um and it wasn't until, like I said, the 1800s that uh, we had the first chocolate bar made. And, and even that is kind of controversial because what do we mean by first chocolate bar? So Joseph Fry uh, in about uh, 1847 made uh, just a pure, like um, just a plain eating chocolate bar. And then uh, several years later in 1876, uh daniel peter and henry nestle you might recognize the name nestle yeah. teamed up to make the first milk chocolate bar and and what i really like is in the early 1900s 1909 we have a canadian connection the ganong brothers in new brunswick uh invented the first uh nut candy bar chocolate bar so that you know they would go on they had a, a chocolate factory but they would go on fishing trips and that and they would make themselves a little snack with and put in a little bit of candy and some nuts and some caramel and they would take that along as a treat and that was the first chocolate bar from that perspective so i i like that uh that canadian connection so we're right in there in the history of chocolate uh, in the world. So. I don't know. As you're talking, I'm also seeing flashbacks and visions of uh, Gene Wilder, right? In the original Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, I'm picturing Willy Wonka and, and sort of the wonderment as a child that you have in, in, in seeing this, this, you know, whimsical presentation of how it's all put together. There are the big names, right? Like you're mentioning a bunch of them, but, but like, uh, I, I think of like the Hershey uh, legacy. I think of the Cadbury legacy, which is, I think, widely recognized. And you write about this in your paper, uh, the marketing genius of Richard Cadbury, uh, who back in the 1860s started with with a real marketing effort and packaging chocolates in in heart shaped boxes and the like, is our uh, I don't know if I say obsession with chocolate. That's me speaking personally. Uh, generally speaking, is our affinity for chocolate as human beings is is it part chemistry and part marketing, or is it mostly chemistry, or is it mostly marketing? What do you think? 
It's it's a bit of both. I mean, uh, you know, the, the, that strong association of romance and the heart shaped boxes that that uh, Cadbury had. Um, but there's also there's also some pretty solid chemistry, as I mentioned. Um, you know, eating chocolate is a you know as a stimulant. Um, there are things in chocolate that kind of increase the endorphins in your brain. So if you're you know if you're a runner, you've heard of that you know runner's high when you stress out your body enough. Well, you don't need to go through that. You, if you eat it, some chocolate, you can you can get a little bit high um, just from the chocolate itself. But there are other stimulants in there um some of them um are uh you know like methyl xanthines which uh, are very much like uh, they they're very uh, close in structure to amphetamines so things like um uh phenyl ethyl amine that kind of uh gives you a, a kind of a sense of giddiness and and a feeling of attraction and so on but there are other things too there's there's um uh, uh you know, like caffeine in there and theobromine and uh, it, these these kind of, um, you know, get you pumped up. But there are also smaller components. There's there's uh, some fatty acids in there that kind of mimic um, uh, cannabinoids. So, it, you know, um, and they do um, kind of latch on to the CB1 and CB2 sites in the brain, much like THC does like what you would find uh, if you were to smoke pot. It's not as strong, but uh, there's some association there. And I personally know people who are, I would describe as chocoholics. Um, I live with two of them. Uh, we're a family of four and, and my wife and my youngest daughter, um, chocolate is not just a dessert or something sweet that you eat just like any other candy. It's, it's, you know, there's a special, grandeur about chocolate that they just absolutely love and i have met uh and probably we've all met people like that 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 really do have a passion for chocolate and some of the things that are in chocolate i think drive that uh in addition to just the marketing yeah i think i might be one of them doc uh, I, I, I'm just, I'm a big fan of chocolate, Johnny. Is I that why wanna... you've got him on here today? You're trying it's... to, trying to get some help. Well, I have, I have, I have selfish, I have selfish motivation for having the doc on because I, because I'm, I, this type of stuff actually fascinates me. And it does like, if I, if it's like on the, on the dessert and I'm not even really a dessert guy, doctor. I mean, I'm, uh, unless it's chocolate, do you know what I mean? Uh, mm -hmm. I just really there's something about it, but I've never heard. And it's fascinating to get your take on the chemistry of it because it, it maybe explains a few things about 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 what it does to us mentally and physiologically that that other treats or other sweets might not. Exactly, and I mean it does have you know like uh, chocolate that we eat usually has a lot of sugar and and people go for that to some extent, but it's 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 more than just the sugar, and and there are are things in there like antioxidants, you know the polyphenols in there that are apparently, you know, um, the research is showing it's, 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 it's good for the, you know, for heart health. It uh, prevents you from, from, from clogging up. And uh, um, although I, I suspect uh, a lot of this is, is also, you know, moderation is, is a key as well. Um, you can't just live just eating chocolate dis despite what uh, some people want to do. But I, you know, there it is healthy, and usually the darker the chocolate is, the healthier it is. Um, and uh, 
there, there's also, um, I guess, on the physical chemistry end of things, how it feels in your mouth and the rheology of it, how it flows and so on. Um, people are attracted to that too. They like that, that how chocolate melts in your mouth and, and the whole experience. So there's, there's a lot of things in play there that, uh, you know, that make you like chocolate. And it's a, it's a big market. I mean, like the worldwide market in chocolate is, is over $140 billion a year. So there, you know, you're in good company. Um, there are a lot of people who love chocolate. I might be responsible for 2% of that. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, I wonder if you, so I, so I, I heard what I needed to hear, you know, I, we, we, I heard what I needed to hear and that chocolate is good for you. And now I know you're going to probably say, well, in moderation and all of these types of things that make sense. And we all know about that, but I, but I do, I do find it interesting that, and I've heard that, that assertion before that the darker, the chocolate, the, the healthier it can be. I wonder if you can also read a little bit into people's personalities like i like i've got all the time in the world for milk chocolate and dark chocolate but i can't stand white chocolate how about how about you or the chocoholics in your life are they are they equal opportunity uh aficionados no they have very definite um uh feelings on things so yes. both of them are are milk chocolate and uh which uh you know uh, a lot of a lot of people are, but there's some that are, you know, the darker the chocolate, the better for them. And they are very opinionated on white chocolate to them. White chocolate is not chocolate. And um, <laughs> it, it's it's essentially, you know, the 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 the, the cocoa butter that, that that that's in there, but you don't actually have any of the cocoa itself, the the darker colored stuff. And I think, you know, it was originally kind of made to help decorate cakes and 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 to to make um chocolate designs and so on so you don't get that that uh, full hit of all those natural products in there that i talked about um with white chocolate so um you know some people you know like white chocolate um but i think a lot of chocoholics um don't consider it actually a chocolate yeah i I'd have to side with them, Doc, to be honest with you, although why fight over it? We can all get along. There's enough chocolate to go around for everyone. Uh, this has got to be a big day. I'd be curious to know, $140 billion, as you tell us, the, the global chocolate market annually. I'd be curious to know how much of that is sold in the first or second week of February. That's got to be, what do you think, 10 15% at least, 20% maybe. Yeah, I think, yeah, you know, there's some peaks during the year, um, so – yeah, Valentine's Day, uh, perhaps Easter in certain parts of the world, and of of course around Christmas time. You know, those are the, the the big times for chocolate. Yeah, anything cool happening in Berlin around Valentine's Day? Do they have any? I know, like in in that in that part of Europe, for example, uh, around Christmas time, they've got these wonderful Christmas markets. Do they do Valentine's Day any differently? No, it's about the same. I I would say you know you 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 know you. Um, it's that romantic connection. You send flowers, cards, chocolates to your, to your sweetie. Um, the only difference I think is, um, you know, in Germany, uh, they figure that the whole thing was kind of started by the, uh, the, the flower, you know, the, the florists 
uh, trying to drum up business. And I think in, in Canada, we, we think it's the uh, greeting cards industry that's uh, yeah. kind of started that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, listen, if, if, if my math is correct, it's getting to be right around supper time. And, and the last thing we want to do is uh, keep you from your Valentine's. I don't want to be getting you in trouble, doctor. So, so thank you so much. This is such a fun conversation to have, but also enlightening. Interesting. We've all learned something today. Uh, thanks to you. So we appreciate it. Yep, a pleasure being here. So have a have a good rest of the day. And uh, yeah. You as well, my man. Happy Valentine's Day. Okay. Take care. Yeah, you got it. That's Dr. Dietmar uh, Kenapol, a uh, chemistry professor at Athabasca University. This conversation was presented by Canada's online university. You can learn more about them at AthabascaU.ca. You know that Athabasca University is one of the largest research universities in the entire country i'm starting to see johnny maybe if they have like a phd in chocolate <laughs> that's something i would be all over that i'd have to maybe do like a a, a graduate degree in in cardiovascular maintenance as well if you wanted to keep the two running with synergy it's a good mix you could be just a few clicks away from your next big milestone if this conversation lit a fire under you if you've decided that today is the day that you're going to look into the next phase of your life, whether it's maybe a, a program or a, a course, maybe it's an undergraduate degree, a master's degree. What about a PhD? You know, Athabasca University is Canada's largest nursing so the school, of the, the graduate degrees, the master's degree in nursing. Nobody graduates more nurses than Athabasca University. How incredible is that? Chances are, if you're in a clinic, if you're in a hospital, you see a nurse there hard at work, there's a very good chance they graduated from Athabasca University. You can learn more about that. I mean, there, we don't have all the time. We, we don't have enough to, to get into all of the programs and courses, all of the opportunities, but you can check them out yourself today on the easy-to-navigate website, AthabascaU.ca. That's Canada's online university and as of course we take a look around this studio where we broadcast from every day we're always so grateful for the amazing support of our friends at complete care restoration this studio was built entirely by the team at complete care and it's so funny when you talk to them they say well we really hope that no real talker ever has to call us why because well they handle emergency services fires floods disasters you know, your pipes burst, heaven forbid, or or maybe there's a house fire, heaven forbid. You got to get it cleaned up. Chances are your policy, your insurance policy, allows you to pick the company that's going to do the restoration work. We wholeheartedly recommend the team at Complete Care Restoration. You can find them online at completecarerestoration.ca or give them a call today at 780-454-0776. When disaster strikes and you want that cleanup done right with your most important investment, your home, we recommend you trust Complete Care Restoration. <laughs> I'm absolutely loving the comments during that interview. Oh, yeah? We got some chocoholics in the house? Uh, one person's like, sweet interview. Oh, Another person's well like, done. another divisive 
another division. <laughs> that's right. Well, I mean, as I, you were talking about white chocolate, people were like, oh, and also like, like I only eat the the like, uh, what's it called? What's the one with no? There's no milk in it. My wife. Okay, it. I don't like, know. Is like the not, dark mar- chocolate, not marzipan. Right? I don't know. I don't so know. So she makes everything with dark chocolate, like real chocolate. Right? Yeah. So like now I've become accustomed. Like sometimes I'll have chocolate, and people are like, oh, it's plant based, and I can taste. I'm like, whoa. This is really creamy. Like now I'm accustomed to like the dark, just pure, like more percentage of cocoa, right? So now I'm on that boat. Life in the lap of luxury. It is weird when he was talking about it though. It's chocolate is like this magical thing, right? Like most things that melt in your mouth are cold. It's always warm, but it stays like solid at room temperature. It's like it's this whole experience when you pop chocolate yeah. in your mouth. It melts. You get the sweetness. You do, like when he was talking about it, my wife is literally a chocoholic. I think she's addicted. She sounds like a connoisseur. She's Like she knows her stuff. Like there's something there, right? It is like yeah. almost like a narcotic. It gets can, you going. Can you imagine? Well, that was interesting to hear that it, it has uh, qualities similar to cannabinoids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then sort of like a, an impact similar to THC on the human brain, which is pretty fascinating I like, stuff. I like how he referred to cannabis as pot. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> you know, if you're like smoke pot, <laughs> if you would have said smoke weed, it might've been even funnier, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not surprised to hear that. You remember, I remember hearing about the birth and I don't know if this is true. Everybody has their own stories, but I was uh, lucky enough, I don't know, 15 years ago or so, uh, to travel on assignments mm-hmm. uh, to shoot a mini documentary in Ethiopia. And when they, when they prepare you per Ethiopian tradition, when they, they roast coffee beans in front of you yeah. and grind them in front of you and, and prepare this coffee that will just blow your mind. It's so amazing and hearing the stories like thousands of years ago when they first when humans first discovered the properties or the benefits of the of the coffee bean Mm -hmm. and i remember hearing the story about how i I think it was like a shepherd or something or someone that was keeping goats and they had seen that the goats were like nibbling on the coffee beans and then the goats would be like basically supercharged after the fact and they'd be running and jumping around and that's how humans first at least this is how the folklore goes uh this is how human beings had first recognized some of the qualities Mm -hmm. That coffee beans contained. Well, as you're talking about that, we all know that, you know, the majority of chocolate comes from like West Africa and Ghana. So there's a whole other conversation we could get to about the ethical, you know, and I was like, we're running out of show though. No, but people, yeah. And you're you're right. And people want to know more and, and, and whether it's like animal proteins or fresh produce or treats like mm. chocolate or but specifically or wine. people you, want to know about the fair trade elements to it they want to know mm-hmm. that they can feel good about consuming the product and, and i think that that's more that's maybe more true now than ever before a hundred percent and you mentioned in the interview chocolate on the rise i'm looking at charts as you guys were discussing global chocolate production and consumption has been rising since like the the late 90s early 2000s and it's predicted to go even higher by 2035. So we could get into a whole conversation about the production of chocolate and how much more they're going to need. And, you what know, did he say 140 billion. Yeah. Really? Yeah. I was looking at one chart that said wow. up to 150 by 2035. Wow. So like, think about that. For the a amount second. of chocolate. And it basically, I'm looking here, it comes from just two countries. And they're both in Africa, the majority of them. So we might have to do like a chocolate themed show. Yeah. That's all I'm going to be thinking about for the rest of the day, obviously. <laughs> We're also going to be working on the shows coming up for the remainder of this week. Uh, give you a quick heads up. We'll focus on another independent journalism outlet on Friday when Jeremy Clausus joins us in studio from The Sprawl. 
Then a Real Talk Roundtable presented by Urban Timber with improv artists. We're going to wrap up our week with a few belly laughs. It should be fantastic. Tomorrow on the show, Max Fawcett from the National Observer. Why Rachel Notley needs to hit the panic button. Thanks for liking and subscribing to Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepard, Website Design Mike Johnston, Voiceover by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandy Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.